You can be turning to Luke chapter 19. We're, we're taking a break from the series on the Sermon on the Mount until January. I love so much to hear y'all sing. And I hope and trust it is well with your soul. Because Christ's work is a finished work. And that finished work of Christ gives us such a rock to stand on no matter what we face in this world. <clears throat> to know that Christ is raised and seated at the right hand of God means that everything we need, we have. And we have inheritance, we have promises, and it is well with our soul because of that. So praise the Lord for that. This message today we will title Zacchaeus Stood. We'll begin reading in Luke 19 and verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost let us pray holy father we're so thankful you sent the son into the world to save us from our sins we're so grateful that we have this inspired word of God, this God-breathed word to show us how you save ordinary, everyday citizens, how you transform their lives, how you bring forth repentance and confession and change, real change in their life. And Lord, I just pray you would continue to do that and do it even here amongst us today. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so Jesus was walking through Jericho and he is changing people all along the way as we read through the gospels from every walk of life and we have this God breathed word today so that we can read these stories and we can see how God is working how he worked then how he continues to work today and as we do that we see that his word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction and for instruction in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped to understand how he works and to see how he is working in our life. <clears throat> and last time I, I looked at that text there in 2 Timothy 3.16 and I thought it would be good just to take one of these stories and look in the life of an individual about how the Lord is changing people using this word. So today, let's just take a look and see how Christ seeks and saves the lost in the life of Zacchaeus. And it's really will be under three heads, uh, through providence, through word, and by change. Let's just walk through verse by verse here. <clears throat> so beginning in verse 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And one of the things I would have you noticed is how many times the word and appears. Where in Mark, as we went through Mark together, immediately was one of the key words. Immediately, immediately. In Luke it's and, and, and. And I think that's meant to show us just the, the continual work that God was doing in the world. It says, and immediately in verse 18, he received his sight. And then it goes into this chapter. Right after Jesus does that, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Jericho has about 20,000 people in it today. Uh, back during that time, it's debatable about what the population was there in Jericho, but it was, it's known to be the lowest place in the earth. It's supposed to be the, the city that's farthest below sea level of any city in the earth. Uh, it's like 500 meters below sea level. Jesus had been here before to Jericho. He came here many times, but what I was thinking about was in Joshua chapter 5. Jesus had been to Jericho before. We read there when Joshua is coming out to go against Jericho after they've crossed over the Jordan River. And Joshua looks up his eyes and he sees. And there stands a man over against him in Joshua chapter 5 with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Are ye for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I'm captain of the Lord's host, and I'm now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And we know that this is not just an angel, because anywhere in the Bible where men fall before angels, even in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the angels say, don't do it. And here, this captain of the Lord's host receives worship, and we know that reading some of the old doctors of the Bible, they say this is a manifestation of Jesus Christ before he became a man. So Jesus has been to Jericho before. And his sword is drawn at this instance. And you go over to Revelations and you see where John sees Jesus and he's got the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And, you know, we go to Hebrews 4.12 where it said the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and again here in Luke 19 we just read the sword that comes and in the life of those who love the word and who love Christ this sword is working even today 
And this sword came, in, in the words of Christ, have an impact in the life of Zacchaeus. So Christ has been to Jericho before. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. So here we see that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. And this is, you know, it's a compound word here, but it means he was the ruler over all the tax collectors. And some of the commentaries, it says that Jericho was situated on some crossroads where there was a lot of trade that took place. So there was a lot of revenue being generated in Jericho. So there would have been many tax collectors to make sure that Rome was getting their piece of the pie. And out of the many tax collectors that were here at Jericho, Zacchaeus is ruler over all of them. So this is a very deliberate word when it says he was the chief tax collector. Agriculture was abundant, as I understand it. They raised flowers there that were sweet-smelling. Uh, a lot of plants, Jericho means perfumed. And so it was a wealthy city. And Zac is the main tax collector here in this city. And his name comes from uh, the, the family of Zachai, which you can read about in Ezra 2.9 and Nehemiah 7.14. Zacchaeus means pure or innocent. But as we see, before he became that, he had a life before Christ where he was not pure and innocent. So behold, this man Zacchaeus, which is the chief among the publicans who's rich, comes along and, and Jesus is going to fulfill something in the life of Zacchaeus that he has just said was impossible with men in chapter 18. So y'all know the rich... Ruler comes to Jesus in chapter 18. This has just happened. And Jesus says, it's, you know, it's harder for a rich man, a rich woman to get to heaven. It's easier for an animal to go through, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get to heaven. And his disciples are amazed. And they say, well, who can make it then? The rich can't. Which reveals part of their misunderstanding about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says what there? He says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Now he's going to show them that very truth. What is possible, God can save a rich man. And he's going to do that here. So Jesus is here to do mission impossible. And he's going to fulfill this in his life, this salvation. This greater love that Christ has is going to push out Zacchaeus' love of money. And we read in verse 3, And he sought to see Jesus who was, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. So we have to think about what is going on and Zacchaeus' life and his mind. 
What is going on in his life? Why is he coming out here to seek Jesus? It says he sought to see Jesus who he was. Why is someone who is rich and increased with goods and would have everything he needed in life come out to see Jesus? Was it just for curiosity? I'm sure there was a big buzz going on at that time where many were talking about Christ and they were hearing about the miracles. They were hearing about the things that he was doing. They would have heard about the uh, opposition of the spiritual leaders against him. There's a whole crowd following him. So what's going on in the life of Zacchaeus? This word sought here has a meaning to find out by meditating, thinking, thinking, reasoning, and prayer, particularly used in the sense of the worship of God. So it seems just the meaning of the word where it says Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus, that it means something more than just curiosity. And John 6.44, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. I would have us just think about in Zacchaeus' life here and in your life about God's providence and how he has been working in your life. Some of us that are older can think about how God intervened and interrupted us on our path to hell and changed our direction in the past. Many of us can think about God's, even in this past year, how God has been working in our life and intervening in our life to change our direction, to correct those things that need to be corrected. And here in Zacchaeus' life, he sought to see Jesus who he was. This is a, a deeper seeking and meditating and thinking and prayer. Do you have that kind of seeking going on in your heart? I think there's a tendency from us who have been raised in the gospel and who are regular attenders to think or come to a place of stagnation. And to think we know everything there is to know. Well, we know the doctrines of grace. We know the Bible. But there is always more joy to be had. And there is always more to be learned. And more to be known. And Zacchaeus here has this draw. I believe the Father is drawing him here. We've got this picture of God's providence in this story of Zacchaeus as the Lord is bringing him in his thinking and reasoning and meditating. He would have known the stories of Messiah, the promised one. He probably had heard the buzz thinking of people saying, maybe this is him. And deep in his heart, he had not found what he was looking for. Even though he had position, he had the respect of his peers, and he would have had access to anything money could buy. But it wasn't enough. 
Proverbs 13, 7 says, There is that makes, there is a man that makes himself rich, yet has nothing. There is that makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Isn't that what we see here going on in the life of Zacchaeus? There's one here that had made himself rich, and yet he had nothing. He was still empty. He was not satisfied. And yet, we see as we move through the story, he comes to divest himself of, of some of those riches, and yet he would have riches forevermore. What are the obstacles that are getting in the way? What are the obstacles that are caused that are getting in the way between Zacchaeus and being able to see Jesus? It says, and he sought to see Jesus who he was, and he could not for the press. That just means there were crowds, lots of people following Jesus. And it says, because he was of little stature, he was short. It says, micro. What are the obstacles getting in the way of seeking Christ? Crowds, doubts, fears, guilt, height, mainly two things, the crowd and who he was or how he was. Maybe this micro word here where it says he was little stature, maybe there's something to be gathered from that that when we love money, it makes us little. It makes us tiny. So his desire was to see and to know and to overcome any obstacle in the way. So here's Zacchaeus in verse 4. It says he runs before and climbs up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. So we see here that Zacchaeus overcomes. He overcomes the obstacles. I always love reading Revelations because again and again it speaks of they who overcome and the blessings that they will receive. So in his seeking and in his meditating and thinking and this desire and this drawing that was drawing him to Christ, he was understanding the teaching, the doctrine. He was hungry and he wasn't going to let anything get in the way. We already know that Zacchaeus is clever and that he has not let his height get in the way of his success as a tax collector. Here he begins to use that gift and that ability for something better. He thinks quickly. He devises a plan. He could see the path that Christ was on in the crowds. He could make out the way they were going. And so he runs ahead and he climbs up into a tree and places himself in the path of Christ. And these sycamore trees, you can go out and look up images of them. A sycamore tree, when it comes out of the ground, it, it branches out immediately into these big, sprawling branches that make it an easy climbing tree for somebody that's short. We would call it a good climbing tree. So he goes and climbs up into this tree. And so we can learn from Zacchaeus. He didn't let what appeared to be obstacles to keep him from seeing Jesus get in the way. He overcame those obstacles. What are the obstacles that are getting in your way of seeking Jesus? They get in your way to keep you from being in the path that he passes by. 
the path that Christ passes through whereby we may know him is right here, right? We can't let anything get in the way of that time to be in the path with Christ in the narrow way. This is the place where we have to carve that time out. We have to find that time. I know people are in different seasons of life. As I think back through that, uh, there's times when moms are busy with kids or dad's busy with work and there are seasons where things kind of crowd in and get in the way and you've got to kind of go do a reset, right? And I always encourage the men, if you come home and mom's been busy all day, maybe you need to give her half an hour to go be alone and be quiet with the Lord. Let's not let obstacles get in the way, either for us or for anybody in our family. Let's continue to challenge them and continue to put ourselves in this way. There has to be some planning, just like Zacchaeus planned. We have to have the plan. And we have to execute the plan. We, we can't let anything get in the way. Even the busyness of the crowd, the busyness of life, the busyness of things that were all surrounding Christ and life didn't get in the way. He made sure he placed himself in the way. And so as Zacchaeus comes to this place here in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. It makes me think of Ezekiel 16.6 where the Lord says this, Christ says this to you. And when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood, I said unto you when you were in your blood, live. Yea, I said unto you when you were in your blood, live. And he comes here to Christ to, to, Christ comes to Zacchaeus he looks up and he's going to let Zacchaeus live he looks up and sees him he says unto Zacchaeus make haste come down for today I must abide in your house so this is the moment of surrender this is the moment where the father is drawing a person to Christ where they are starting to seek, their, their mind is being drawn towards wrestling with questions like, can I trust the Bible? Is this Christianity my mother told me about, is it really true? There comes a time in every person's life when you've got to wrestle with questions like that. And you've got to become settled in your own heart, in your own mind, where you have to believe upon this Christ. The moment of surrender, the moment of heart conviction, the moment when we lay ourselves down upon Christ, the place where he comes. Jesus looks. Y'all know which song immediately comes to mind. He looks and ten thousands, ten thousand of angels rejoice and myriads wait for his word. He speaks in eternity filled with his voice. Re-echoes the praise of the Lord. Jesus looked and saw him. Now this look of Christ is something that's very penetrating. Probably convicting. And yet loving in such a way that 
you don't know you want to turn away from that look, but you don't want to turn away. Michael Card wrote a great poem and song about that look. We think of that in Luke twenty two sixty one. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, you shall deny me three times. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. When he looks at us, he sees our denials. When Christ looks at us, he sees us wherever we are, whether it's up in a tree or under a tree. We think about that in John 148 when he's when he speaks to Nathaniel and said, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? He knows you. He knows you. Jesus told him, I knew you yesterday when you were sitting under the tree. He looks, he sees, he speaks. All the crowd and Christ stops at this moment. One of the things I was thinking about this keeps coming up again and again over things that I've been reading. But here, with all the crowd, Christ picks, in these 19 verses here, he picks out one person to save. We don't read of any other at this time. There may have been, but he picks out one person to save. As I was re-listing with Laurie to the uh, biography of Rosaria Butterfield 20-something years ago when she was transformed by the Word of God just by reading the Bible and asking questions with the pastor. As she was head of the LGBTQ at Syracuse University. She was tenured. She was writing books that were the, against patriarchy and Christianity. And she made this comment. She knew probably thousands of people in that particular community where she was. She knew leaders, national leaders. And she said through that entire time when Christ saved her out of that, she did not know of a single other person that was delivered. Now later, yes. But at that time, at that moment, during that two-year period, God's sovereignty, and he saves who he wants, when he wants. And sometimes it's one, and sometimes it's many. But we learn again here that God in his sovereignty comes and he does what he wants. And here he comes to save this chief tax collector. Urgency. This is another thing that we see here in this text. Jesus says to him, make haste and come down. This is a command. So when Christ comes in his word and we read something in God's word that we are not in alignment with. We need to immediately take that text and obey it. Or do whatever we need to figure out how to get there as soon as we can. There's an urgency in this Christ. When Christ looks and he sees with that penetrating, loving look. He calls Zacchaeus by name here. Zacchaeus. His name means what? Pure. I think when Zacchaeus called his name here, it's like when he called Lazarus by name. Lazarus, come forth. 
out of the grave. Zacchaeus becomes pure. The Lord works in ordinary life with ordinary individuals and he comes and he speaks your name at a given moment, in a given place, in a given time, and you live. Have you experienced that in your life? There's no time to waste when he calls. Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at your house. We see this word, this is Christ's word coming out. It's in red in this Bible, all these words should be in red, but here it, it's Christ speaking, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And again, we see doctrine coming, God-breathed word. Did Zacchaeus have a choice? When the creator of the universe comes and stands under the tree that you're up in and he says, come down, I'm going to come to your house. Would you want to say no? Would you say, I don't really have time. I've got some other things to attend to. When Christ comes like this in power, in obedience, in love, with urgency in his voice, those that love him obey and they come down. So this word says, I must abide at your house. I mean, what was going through his mind when he thought, I'm coming to your house? Now, he's a man, so he probably wasn't thinking, well, I hadn't cleaned house today. But there were probably some things going through his house, th through his mind as he's thinking about Christ is now coming to my house. He said today. So this is immediate. This is now. He's coming. This is the day. I think of like, this is the day of salvation. Today is that day. Make haste. I think that's, that's in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 6. For he says, I have heard you in a time accepted. This is the accepted time for Zacchaeus. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you remember that day for yourself? Maybe today is that day. Christ says must. That means it's necessary or of necessity. Today and every day, he must abide in your house. You abide in me and I abide in you. We can't do anything apart from him. This is we're studying on Wednesday nights, union with Christ. It's abiding in the vine, abiding in the presence, abiding in the place of joy and peace and contentment. What would it mean for the king of kings to come to our house? Would he be coming to clean the skeletons out of our closet? I can guarantee you he's going to do that. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He's going to come clean house and he's going to help you to clean house. What a joy to have him do that. Praise the Lord that he comes and he brings us to that place of repentance. He already sees everything that's going on in our life, right? He knows everything that's taking place this week in your life. Because he's always there. And one of the things we have to 
we have to train ourselves to do as believers, as we believe this word and we believe that God is everywhere all the time, is we have to practice that in our minds and our thinking, is remembering the Lord is present. It was kind of popularized a few years ago with the WWJD. You remember that? What would Jesus do? And it became a little hokey, and there was too much sales stuff going on around that. But it's a good practice. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, think about it. God, he's here. He's with me. I, I got access to infinite wisdom. I've got the counsel of the Holy Spirit. I've got the Word of God. Because He's abiding with me. He lives with me. He remains with me. We sing that song, I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself, my God and strength, can be? Through cloud and sunshine, oh, abide with me. Isn't that a great joy to know that he abides with us? That we can hide under the shadow of his wings. Where Christ abides, there will be love and obedience. In John 14, 23, the Lord said, If a man love me, if a woman love me, if a child love me, if anybody loves me, they will keep my words. And that means a close attention. Being careful with his words. A not overlooking of those words. We will keep my words. And what does Christ say right after that? He will keep my words and my father and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Isn't that great? That <laughs> he lives with us and abides with us and is so kind and long-suffering with us and patient. So Zacchaeus here keeps the words, he obeys the words, he comes down. He doesn't let Jesus' words fall to the ground like Samuel. Y'all remember that? And it says Samuel did let none of the God's words fall to the ground. He wasn't careless. He was careful. He came down. He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. In verse 6. True faith obeys immediately, but it's always attended with joy. There's no other to, to receive, no way to receive Christ other than this, joyfully. Once the Holy Spirit comes, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy and love. We read of that in Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received His word, gladly received His word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So Christ is calling you to obey. What is it in his word that he's been bringing to you this year, this week? He's calling you to that conviction, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. They made haste and came down. And then verse 7, we see this. Always in Christ, we're seeing the righteous, the response of the righteous, and the response of the wicked. 
You read the Proverbs. You've got many of the Proverbs right down that dividing line of truth. The truth of the righteous and the truth of the wicked. Here in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. They saw it here has reference back to the crowd that's following Jesus. So those who were going with him, they liked the popularity. They liked the buzz. They liked being around religious circles. The fad, maybe the fad of the day, they were all caught up in that. And this same crowd that's outwardly following Jesus, they have a form of godliness but no power. They're the ones who murmur. You see, they, they think God should behave in a certain way. He needs to behave himself according to how I think he ought to behave himself. And here God is going, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to have supper with a sinner. I'm so glad he does. That word murmur, it means always in a crowd or one to another in a large group. So they're complaining, they're murmuring. Indignantly complaining. The same thing, the same word is used in Luke 15, a few chapters earlier, when the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They think that's a bad thing. We think it's a good thing. They limit Jesus. They limit his power. They question it. They're making a judgment about who the Messiah is and how he should behave. The judgment of this crowd is that sin is more contaminating than the Messiah's righteousness is. Anybody that goes to the house of sinner is their reputation is contaminated. But Christ is not like anybody else, right? You know, they weren't supposed to touch lepers either. But what happened when Jesus reached out and touched the leper? Did the disease spread to Jesus? Or did the righteousness spread to the leper? Praise God, hallelujah. He healed the leper and he was not even intimidated or afraid of the leprosy at all. Isn't that good news to us sinners? I don't have to worry about, I'm too sinful to come to Christ. I've got too much of a mess in my life. No, take your mess and go to him. Take your disease and go to Christ. He'll heal you. This crowd was making wrong judgment. I think of Titus 1.15, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. And again, we see Christ does what he wants, when he wants. He doesn't care what this crowd thinks. He's got an appointment with Zacchaeus, just like he had an appointment with the woman at the well, just like he had an appointment with you. Today, right here. So that once again, he could bring you his word with his spirit through the way he's appointed, the foolishness of preaching, that you might hear it and rejoice at Christ. Eats with sinners. And then in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood. 
and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if any have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now I took the title of my message from this, Zacchaeus stood, right here. Because you always find a nugget when you start digging into the word. And I found my nugget right here. That word stood right there. Zacchaeus stood. Now, you look at verse 8 right there and Zacchaeus stood. And if, I'm, if I was going to look at that sentence and think about that verb stood, I would think, well, Zacchaeus is doing the action, right? Zacchaeus is the one doing the standing. But you look at that verb and the God-breathed word and that word stood there is passive. Isn't that interesting? It is not Zach doing the standing, but yet it is. Because he's using the, his leg muscles, he's using his will and his heart, he is standing up. But in the text here, I think it's drawing our attention to the fact that God in salvation causes us to stand. He causes us to stand. The same word stood there is used in Matthew 25, 33. And he shall set. It's translated set. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand. Jesus is taking a sheep here and he's setting him on his right hand. In the life of Zacchaeus. Isn't that good? And what's the, what's the natural fruit that comes out of Zacchaeus whenever he is set and he's made alive again? He can't help but confess. Once he's set, he confesses. And this is his repentance. And John the Baptist came and said, you need to bring forth fruits that are equal to your repentance. And I know in the previous chapter, Jesus said, sell all you have and come follow me. Here, Zacchaeus willingly offers up half. And so what is repentance for one person will be different in another. He stands and says, I give half my goods. I give to the poor. And if he's taken anything by false accusation, he restores him. So there's the idea of restoration as part of repentance also. If we've hurt somebody in the past, if there's something that needs to be made right, we need to go make it right. So he confesses and then Jesus confesses in verse 9. And says unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ confesses. Matthew 10, 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. What has Zacchaeus done right here? He's confessed Christ before men. Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Here Jesus is standing and giving confession. This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Come to this house. Many times we read in the Acts about the fact when salvation came to a person in a house. It was so yeasty that it spread throughout the entire house. 
this, this glory of God and this mercy of God and this love, once it gets into one family member, it spills out into the rest of the family. Isn't that great encouragement for all of us? That as we are filled with this joy and this love of Jesus Christ, that we can have, make a difference in our family. Zach is now one of God's beloved sons. He has repented. He's restored. He's confessed. Christ has confessed. And Mission Impossible has now become Mission Possible. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Because the announcement at Christ's birth was that Mary would bring forth a son and would call his name Jesus and that he shall save his people from their sins. Here's another child of Abraham saved from their sins. Not in them, but from them. And Zacchaeus has been saved. The lost is now found. There's no lost and found in heaven, by the way. No lost and found there. Everything in heaven has been found. All those in heaven have been found. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And he came an ordinary day. He's passing through Jericho. He's passing through McDonough. He's passing through our towns. He's passing through the state of Georgia. He's passing through the world. He passes through the word preached. He passes through your prayers and your meditations. He's passing through and he's making a difference. He's bringing his word. And we can see that in the life of Zacchaeus. So Jesus Christ is seen here in how he seeks and saves the lost through providence, through his word, and through change. 